Oh yeah. Hey guys, welcome back to the Fifth Man Podcast. What episode? What's episode two of season six. Two. Six. Two. <laughs> six. Two. Let's go. Yeah. Damn. Okay. How's your week been? My week has been excellent. That's a lie. Um, because of extended essay. I've gotten a total of two hours of sleep that one night, and I fell asleep the entire day yesterday. So mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't bad or anything. How was your day, Dina? Um, well, my day's been fine, but my week, I don't know, kind of stressful. But I didn't think I was going to be, like, this relaxed for, like, mm-hmm. a big assignment. And I have a math exam tomorrow, so I'm pretty chill for a, a, a hectic week. It's true. Um, How have you been, Cosmo? Well, yesterday I didn't sleep. Because of exam essay. No, and then, like, this night, um, I did sleep, and I forgot to edit the podcast. Oh. That's why I've been, this whole morning, editing the podcast, and it's done now, so it's fine. But yeah, I also have the math exam, and a history exam tomorrow as well. So. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. How have you been, Mr. Panford? I don't have an extended essay to submit, so <laughs> I've been alright. Yeah. Teacher privilege. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Mr. Panford, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Mr. Ponford, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> wow. What about you, Angel? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, I also didn't sleep yesterday because I had to write my extended essay. And then I went home and I slept. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, and then I ate food, and I couldn't sleep for the rest of the night. Wow. Huh. Yeah. And then what time did you wake up then? Well, I woke up at 7, but I slept at like 3 in the morning. You gotta fix your sleep schedule. Yeah, I think it's just if I don't sleep, like, I, I don't get tired anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Wait, if you don't sleep, you don't get tired? Yeah. Yeah, it's just I'm unable to sleep because my head hurts so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's was... like when you're so hungry, but you can't eat. Yeah. Like, you, you're so tired that you can't that was anymore. That was me um, in New Year's. I was with, only with my friends at my friend's house for New Year's. And, um... For New Year's, I didn't sleep the whole night on New Year's Eve, and the next day, he went to bed and everything. I just couldn't sleep, so instead of sleeping, I started cleaning the whole house. <laughs> it was a total mess. So then he woke up, same thing, and I hadn't slept for like 24 hours at that point. Right. And then the next night, didn't sleep again. I don't know why, but because his friend came over and stuff, and we just hung out at his place, and then I just didn't sleep the whole night again. Mm-hmm. And at like 6 a.m. in the morning, I finally just passed out. How long did you sleep for? Like six hours only. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. I figured you would have slept like the entire day. No, no, no. Yeah. I didn't want to miss out. <laughs> <laughs> miss out what? Just, I don't know. I never see him, so oh, I like okay. sleeping oh, the whole day. Sweet. Not like that. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> what if you went to like go somewhere and I couldn't come because I was sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Happen, so. yeah. Right. So this week's episode, we're talking about culture. Wow. And um, we have a special guest contributor, Mr. Panford. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's say where we're all from. Yeah, I think that is really important. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to choose this topic was because um, two, of our, two of our members are from somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one, of, one of our members grew up with more foreigners than Mongolians. Um, so, so I yeah. thought it would be interesting to talk and especially hear yeah. about their experience because mm-hmm. I think it really shapes who you are. So Cosmo, where are you from? Germany. 
Wow. We're in Germany. Saxony. The Albert Town's born in Berlin. Saxony. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. How many countries have you lived in? Germany, Vietnam, London, and Singapore. But Germany was only until I was four years old, so it doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. Where do you think like you grew up and like you spent majority of your childhood in? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. Like the okay, country so that really shaped you. The place I was in the most was Vietnam mm. for eight years. That's where I did like my whole primary and sixth grade stuff at kindergarten as well. But I think the country that really has shaped me would have been Rwanda because I think in middle school that's like the time when you really become mm-hmm. like who you are like primary you know it's you're just kind of doing like playing and stuff like that but middle school is I think kind of the time when you really um find like what you like and you don't always do everything that everyone else does and things, things like that so I think yeah Rwanda what about you Lena do you agree with him agree with the fact that like middle school shapes who you are um i can't really say because for me i never spent like over three or two years in one place so it's like i can't say what he said so what was like the first country ever um that was like i've had a few countries where it's reached like two and a half or like yeah. almost three so i guess yeah mm. here would be my third how many years. countries have you lived in ten Wow. <laughs> I mean, I was born in Kenya, but I'm Japanese and from the Solomon Islands. So I was born in Kenya, Singapore, El Salvador, Japan, Solomon Islands, Australia, Brunei, Brazil, the United States, and Mongolia. Wow. Yeah. It's like every continent. <laughs> <laughs> what country do you like the best so far? If you could only name one. That's not like one of the places I'm from? Ooh, or? No, it can't. I think I'd say the Solomon Islands. Really? Why? Just because I don't get to go back, like, ever at all. And so when I was living there, it was, like, such a great, like, time to be part of, like, my culture and, like, my identity, you know? And, like, actually have a lot of family there. And it's just such a carefree, like, environment that, yeah, I think I'd say it's my favorite. What about you, Mr. Pepperd? What about me? So, what countries have you been to, and how many have you lived in? And where are you from? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm from Ghana. I've been to um, UAE, um, China, hmm. the US, Indonesia, and Norway. So, wow. that's five. Yeah. And Mongolia. And, well, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Which one have you lived the longest in? The longest, Mongolia. Really? Four years, so. How long did you live like in Ghana? It. I grew up in Ghana. I was born in Ghana. Grew up in Ghana um, up until after university, and yeah. So that was my first experience outside. Yeah. What urged you to leave Ghana? At what age? Like, wh- why did you leave Ghana? When did um, you well, my sister is married to a Norwegian, so that's what took me to Norway, and then um, went to Dubai for vacation. Came to Mongolia to work, went to China for vacation, went to the US to see family, so mm. kind of like, yeah, different reasons, yeah. How do you, <laughs> since you're, since you're so used to um, so many international kids coming in and leaving, how do you feel when, you know, you make friends with these kids and then they leave? I actually think about this question all the time, not the question specifically, but about that topic in general, mm. where like, 
if I were to come back here from university, I wouldn't have a lot of friends because let's. It's all over the world. Yeah, they're all over the world, and only the Mongolian ones are here, right? They only they come back for vacation. So let's say you and a couple other Mongolian students, right? Yeah. But other than that, I don't really have that many like friends to like hang out with. So it is kind of like upsetting in a way because it's just I don't I won't really have a lot of like friends in the long term and I'll really have to like make new ones and then when I go to university I'm gonna have to make new friends but after university I won't ever talk to them again because I live in Mongolia so <laughs> uh, do you think you're gonna always come back to Mongolia no matter what probably how do you um does that mean you're good at making friends I feel like they didn't. I didn't have to attempt to make friends. They had to make try to be friends with me because I'm <laughs> yeah. the established guy. Yeah. I remember with Cosmo. Maybe I was kind of like trying to be friends with him, but like at first he was kind of shy and then like, like not as talkative as he is now. So mm. I don't really have to make the effort, which is why I'm a little afraid of university because I'm really gonna have to make the effort to make new friends and stuff. Mm. Interesting. So you're saying that like since you're from Mongolia, or not since you're from, but you always you think you're for sure gonna come back to Mongolia. Do you think it's like because of your culture and things like that? Because in Germany, it's like I think my family does not expect me that I have to like, that I come back to Germany. They think that well because your parents don't um live there. Don't, don't live there, he's probably gonna be the same because he's so like international things right. like that. That yeah. in Germany, I think most people like. They're, they kind of, well, at least my family, they're kind of, not praised, but it's kind of very accepted that, oh, you don't um, live in Germany because you have better job opportunities, or you don't want to live in, you always want to experience new things, so do you think that's part of the culture that you have come back, or? Yeah, um, yeah, you bring up culture, so I think my culture is that I've lived here for all my life. So I can't imagine myself living in another country for more than about five-ish years. Like, let's university, I'll stay there for like a year, come back, stay there for a year again. But like, I can't imagine myself staying more than that year or more than three years because of how long I've lived here and like the emotional bond I have to the country. But it doesn't mean it won't happen though, does it? The fact that you can't imagine it right now yeah. does not mean that there's not a chance that it will happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I can't say I'll, I'll stay here forever. Like it's it's too early on to say that. There's, there might be a time where I live in a country for 10-ish years, but I always I always imagine myself coming back here, no matter what. You're just connected. Yeah. Do you think that the like, university might, because since you, you don't know any other experience than living in Mongolia, do you maybe think that if you live in, let's say, for example, Canada, because you're probably going to, university there um do you think that might change your views and you like actually i like living in a foreign country so much more and i want to make my life more international than that uh, it's definitely going to be a culture shock when i go to like canada because everyone says everyone is so polite compared to mongolia where you, you like you go out and everyone's swearing at each other in the street <laughs> and so i'll definitely like take some time to adapt there and like be like oh this is, place is pretty nice and like settle in so it might be a little hard to move back or it might be hard to like move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you think you have to be very connected to the place if you want to move there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Since you guys are all foreign, what do you guys think about Mongolia? In terms of Mongolian culture? Just 
as just a Mongolia whole. as a whole. Because I feel like it's, it's, there's just like this generic idea of Mongolia. It's like you ride horses and you eat <laughs> milk and, um, sorry, milk and meat and you're out in the nature. So when you came to Mongolia, is, was it so different from what you expected or was it close to what you expected? Here's the thing, um, moving to Mongolia, I didn't know what to expect really until about um, the time when I took the interview with ISU, I did not know much about Mongolia. Mm. I knew a thing or two. I could not have a one minute conversation about Mongolia really. Um, in the space between when I did take the first interview and when I decided to move, I did a lot of research. And so that's when, you know, I read and found out a lot of things. And, you know, you, you realize that moving into a place, most often than not, your experience is not always what you have read about the place before you go there. Because, you know, some of the things you read in the Western media are very stereotypical mm -hmm. and sort of true reflection of the people yeah. in the place. And, you know, I, like I was, I was reading about all kinds of things that go People, there are lots of pickpockets and everybody's house you go to, they'll force you to drink. And if you don't drink, it's rude. I've never been picked and I've never been forced to drink. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a disconnect between what you read, what you find out and what you experience. And if I had to write something about Mongolia, I think that the people are very welcoming and the people have been very nice and, you know, and yeah, like... I mean, I have people staring at me a lot um, when I walk around, but it's more out of curiosity yeah. than bias or prejudice. It's yeah. just, yeah, they're curious. Like, when I moved here, one of the first questions I'll always get is, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and initially I thought, well, why are you asking me that? But then I realized it's just out of curiosity. Like, they just really want to know. They genuinely want to know. Yeah. And it's not because of any prejudice. So I think that the people are very welcoming. But again, I am exposed to a limited number of Mongolians, mm -hmm. many of whom are in this community. Yeah. So it might not be a true reflection of the whole country, but I'd like to believe so. What about you, Cosmo? Well, I think that it kind of similar to Mr. Pedro in the sense that people are very welcoming. Like I think in other countries, a lot of them are like, um, why are you like they're, they're asking you why you're in their country as if you're taking something away from them yes. whereas Mongolia they kind of they want to know about you and other countries for example they'll get angry if you don't know the language for example they're like if you come to my country and you don't even try to accept my culture but I think Mongolia they kind of accept that no one or foreigners find it hard to speak Mongolian and they may, might maybe try to teach you for example in taxis in the beginning I never knew how to say like left right etc mm. but um the taxi drivers sometimes would like say like left is Zoom and right is like Baron. <laughs> yeah. Even though my pronunciation is not that good, like yeah. I still kind of get the concept. And yeah, I think that they're people are just very curious and they, they want to know more about different cultures, especially I think younger people. Because mm. I think oh, like Mr. Panford, I'm more exposed to kind of more younger people than people like 18 or in the early 20s. Um, where I think a lot of People nowadays they kind of see like okay like Mong maybe people don't see Mongolia as like such like a really nice place to live but there's so much pollution and like they Mongolians are kind of I think curious about the outside world especially if they haven't left and they never really got the chance to leave they really want to know like oh what is Germany like when they ask yeah. like when they're talking to the taxi and things like that. 
So what about you? Um, so before I came here, I obviously was like researching and I've kind of learned to like learn about the place before I go there just because mm -hmm. I've done it so many times and like I've, I knew where Mongolia was, but I didn't know what it was about. And so doing research, kind of like Mr. Pan would say, you know, they're very stereotypical and not like true to what it actually is. So I did come in blindly, but I um, like the first month I was here, I went horse riding, I went to the countryside, really like immersed myself in the culture and like the my dad's office and stuff really told us about like where to go, like what everything's about. Mm. So that was really nice. And yeah, I feel like Mongolia's culture, like society wise, it's very close to like um, both Japan and the Solomon Islands. Like in Japan, although the culture is super, um, I guess, more Asian, more Asian, right? But and like it's changed, um, like compared to before and now, yeah. it's changed a lot. But the foundation is still there, and I feel like here in Mongolia, they do take pride in their traditions and their culture, and like you know everything that's happened in the past. And then um, it relates to like the culture in the Salt Mountains because like people here are so kind and they're so like comfortable with like strangers and it's such a like tight-knit community yeah even if you're from like the countryside not from the city like you're still you're connected in that way yeah. so it's like it was really nice to find a place where like i can relate to like both my cultures yeah this does kind of cause me to wonder this question but from your perspective what do you think is the largest misconception people have about your country um my country <laughs> well, there's like the stereotypical everyone drinks beer and eats bread, sausages. sausages and bread the whole time. But um, I think people, they gotta know that Germany, I think, is a very open place, especially if you go not to, I think, in like in most countries, the countryside always isn't as accepting and as multicultural. I think that's uh, true within every country or most countries, but especially in like German and bigger cities, like Berlin, especially. I think people gotta understand it's very multicultural. It's I I would and although I've never been to New York and people always say New York is like very like multicultural and things like that, mm. um, I would probably be able to compare the two cities and like for example even with London just because there's such a like community of foreigners and it's very like um accepting and there's like different cultures everywhere. You're exposed to so many different like. Some people say like, oh, you don't, you don't even find any German shops anymore like in some parts of Berlin, right? But I think it's like a really good thing and it's really, um, it's really like become part of the culture that you see uh, that, and people accept that people from, let's say, less fortunate countries and less for fortunate backgrounds can come to Berlin especially and find uh, a new future for themselves and be accepted in that way. So you say the culture of Germany has been kind of globalized? Not, not like um, the culture, but like the country has been a lot more globalized as you yeah. see other country stores more often now. Yeah, but especially especially in Berlin, that, I think that's a very... Um, you yeah. also said um, people from, you know, misfortunate backgrounds come to Berlin. Do you think because Berlin has such a global culture, as I said, that's what allows it to be more developed compared to other countries? Or um, I think if you look at um, Germany, Berlin is pretty very, pretty underdeveloped compared to Frankfurt and Munich. There's really? it. No, I would say it's there's a lot more commerce in Frankfurt and buildings. There's more like glass buildings everywhere. Berlin's kind of it's I, it's more rough in that sense where the sidewalk still has dog poop everywhere <laughs> and like um 
like you see houses where people live in with like broken windows and things like that but i think that because yeah because berlin is so multicultural that like especially also the german government because when they take in um immigrants and things like that they kind of they kind of are usually the ones that allocate them to different places they're like um this is usually a place where they can grow and where they can establish themselves so i think that they send a lot of them to berlin and especially people that have family there obviously know that yeah so okay then how about you what's the largest misconception in solomon islands or japan I mean, Solomon Islands is kind of like Mongolia. No one really like knows much about it, and I think, I don't know. I just not expect much like what I see like in Moana. Yeah, it, I guess you could say that. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that it's just like Solomon Islanders, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, there's so many like um, Asian people. There's a lot of Chinese people who are like who immigrated there and are now like Solomon Islanders. Really? Yeah, and mm -hmm. they're like. They own a lot of businesses, and it's pretty like um, like globalized, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more than you think than just like an island with nothing there. I yeah. think that's kind of because Solomon Islands isn't the typical um, like tourist destination, like yeah, like it's not Fiji known. or yeah. what's what's Maldives, like, Maldives, or, like things like yeah. that. Like yeah. it's not. So I guess from a Western standpoint. Yeah. How about Ghana? Um. Well. Just like many other African countries, you know, the biggest misconception is that people think that it's impoverished and people have this, you know, um, idea that oh, it's um, poverty stricken. I remember one of the years when we were doing, um, you know, the International Week here, mm -hmm. we were doing the Sustainable Development Goals. And then I had a kid who made a comment about um, African kids being hungry. And um, I showed him data, um, you know, indicating the number of um hungry people in the different countries and compared that to Mongolia and he was really surprised to know mm. that there are more um, hungry people you know per the UN's definition in Mongolia than there were in Ghana um, as a percentage of the country's population right yeah. so um, you know that's um, yeah I think that like um, Cosmo was saying so I am originally from Cape Coast but I was born and lived in the capital, um, Accra. And it's difficult to actually pinpoint what the culture is in that place because it's very urbanized and like, you know, very different things and different people. And so it's like, it, it's changed a lot and it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is. I think the second um, misconception would be that a lot of people know Ghana for like football, um, you know, because of um, lots of players. So even here in Mongolia, I've had people ask me if I play football <laughs> and you know i i don't <laughs> i mean i played fifa and you know, yeah Is that why you have your tactical skills for being the football coach for fifa yes <laughs> that's, that's exactly where i get it from so i think growing up you know i had friends who were very athletic and played football a lot yeah and it's a, it's like the most common sport in ghana and i, I most of africa and yeah most of yeah and i wasn't good to play but then i strategically can help make decisions so i've been like coaching since i was in high school like you know they just bring me along and help them make decisions and that's how i play fifa and uh, maybe one day one of you will have the privilege of playing against me i mean of losing against oh me. Ooh, wow <laughs> <laughs> how about mongolia 
What's yeah. the misconception? What's the Mongolian perspective about misconception? People think it's far more nomadic than it actually is. Like, it definitely is nomadic in some ways, but like, it's a lot what more. What do you mean by nomadic? Like, people move around? Like, they think everyone is, every, like, everyone in Mongolia yeah. is, like, in yeah. a garage with horses, with cattle, and stuff like that. When in actuality, it's starting to become a lot more urbanized in a way. Yeah. I remember. See, I feel like people think Mongolia is really underdeveloped, but I think within the past 20 years, it's developed probably even better than, you know, some states in the U.S. Because if you look at a picture from the 90s and you look at a picture of Mongolia now, there's a huge difference. But then if you look at a picture from, I don't know, um, a state in the U.S. 20 years ago and then compare it to now, mm-hmm. much not much hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Mongolia is very rapidly developing. Yeah. I remember the first time I came here and... Like in the, it was in the taxi way, like from the airport to go to my house, like for the first time, and um, it was dark, so I couldn't really see. Everything mm-hmm. was still at night, and I remember, you know, like on the way from the airport to the city, there's a lot, a lot of gears around and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember driving, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> there's like no buildings here at all. Because <laughs> and then and then like when you slowly like, got into Dyson, and that's when you started seeing like yeah. bigger houses and stuff. But like at night. First time seeing Mongolia, not knowing anything, and you just see like gears everywhere. Yeah. You're like, where is the school gonna be? <laughs> One huge gear. <laughs> Did you expect your classmates to to be living in gears? No, because I, it's a, I mean it's an international IV yeah. school. I wouldn't expect because I, I, I still knew that okay, gears is not like there is a lot of gears, but that's always uh, more for people that. Or more impoverished because they just can't afford um, apartments and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's because I mean, in for example, in Rwanda, it's kind of they didn't have gears, but there was a lot of like um, huts, I guess, yeah. where like they they have like for example just bricks as a, a hut, and it's not really like a proper like full on house. So I knew that um, all the people in my class, for example, in Rwanda, they didn't live in those kind of hu- like huts. They had like proper houses and. Yeah. Uh, things like that. So I think that I, I thought that the Mongolian equivalent of that, which it is, are like gears. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that it was that um, intertwined with the culture. Because I think mm-hmm. Mongolia is like, they take their gears everything. Even if you have a lot of money, right? You would still yeah. like find them in gears. Whereas in like, Rwanda, for example, you wouldn't find uh, more rich people going into like uh, like huts rather than right, right. but that's the thing um, you know in, in Mongolia I think that like living the nomadic lifestyle is not equi- is not an equivalent to um, poverty yeah yeah there are a lot of nomads who actually are very rich like these guys have thousands of livestock yeah. right so yeah. it's, it's actually them embracing their culture yeah. and deciding to live that way but it, it has nothing really to do with how yeah. wealthy they are. I think there are more rich people in the countryside than people in the city. I would agree. They have I, remember, remember, I would agree. On our night, Jill's week, um, we went to like some nomad like farmer. Mm-hmm. I remember like he had like a he, he someone asked him like how much do you sell like one sheep for, right? And he was something like oh ten dollars or something. And then we asked him how much did you, how many did you sell last year? And he said something like fifty thousand and I was like, if you have that much money at first, it's like, why does he still live in a gear if he makes that much, like, yeah. that much money? But 
it kind of makes sense. He kind of, I guess, has to in a way. And also... He prefers to. He prefers to, to yeah. yeah. They prefer to. They, I mean, it's cultural for them. And they love it. It has nothing to do with... Because they're rich. Yeah. yeah. Very rich. Yeah. So do you think the culture of the country um, affects the way that it's developed? So the more cultural and more traditional they are, how would that affect their development as a country? I guess it depends on what you call development, really. Um, because, you know, high-rise buildings are great, but mm. is, that, well, is that the standard for development? And, you know, is it, are we going to define it based on um, the kinds of schools and things like that, access that people have, really? Because I think that, um, you know, it's important to maintain some um, cultural identity and, um, you know, principles and things like that. But then definitely, um, it, it shouldn't be a hindrance to development. I saw a statistic um, while going through my Instagram page where it suggested that countries that are more religious tend to be more impoverished compared to countries that are less religious. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe like there was like a, a mark, like the half and then like the low and then like the high of like developed countries and then developed were normally countries that were not religious at all and like the lesser developed ones are more religious. So do you guys believe that religion has a correlation to not being economically developed? I think that we have to kind of find out why that is, right? Because if you like think about it at first, it, um, it's it's hard to kind of find examples like where right the that because I guess well how do you just like say that a country is religious right because for example the it's U.S. population so ratio where the ratio right but I don't know it's no it's a tricky one um, okay so if I show you a statistics and say that um, these countries are developed and they have more boys than girls and these countries are not developed and they have less girls. Does that mean that's the reason? You know, it's causation yeah. and correlation, right? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think. I think there are a lot more variables that come into play when it comes to whether or not a country is developed. Yeah. I don't think that religion is one of the things that jumps out. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like religion could be a big factor of, you know, development within a country because um, my views on capitalism, I don't view it positively because I think it really like strips away your humankind and because and if you're religious you want to stay ground to your beliefs you want to you know apply your beliefs to everything and the way capitalism works I think it kind of makes you take away a bit from your humankind because you're focused on making money so that's why I think maybe countries that you know have a bigger um, religious population tend to be less developed because they're not focused on making money and everything that's materialistic, but rather than being a good human mm. in, you know, within that. the terms of their religion. Mm. It might also be that um, less religious countries, for example, may be um, more open to new ideas, because if, especially if you're a very like, orthodox uh, part, like a really extreme part of that religion, where you think that um, in a lot of cases that you might um, believe that the change is something that you shouldn't bring, like you should keep things the way they are because that's the way they've always been and that's the way it should be. Just like, for example, in uh, religion where 
you you don't find as much um ancient like like scripture like the Bible they don't really get changed as much like they don't get changed every ten years based on new developments they kind of yeah. stay the way they are so I guess that belief of keeping things like they always should be might hinder um new ideas and new um technologies being accepted whereas in more non-religious places for example they're kind of more accepting and or not accepting but more open to the idea of bringing like a lot of new technology and trying just trying out everything to make you know mm. but yeah it's a really good like tok presentation i feel like <laughs> <laughs> anyway speaking about religion i'm kind of curious about ghana's religion system and how it might work there like is it important in families to be religious or what religion does is most like which what what are like the religion most people in Ghana follow? Um, so a lot of people um, in Ghana are religious. Mm. Um, we have a huge number of Christians, Muslims, um, and then um, we have the minority religions. So there's the traditional African religion, and then um, there are like Hindus, Buddhists, uh, a lot of that. Like, uh, but are those Hindus and Buddhists are they? People from like are they people from Ghana or are they more, uh, for example, people from India and from like Asia that came in to? Um, there is there is a number of Ghanaians that are Hindus and you know because um just like missionaries um mm. travel to different places so there are people who have come there converted a few established um, a temple or something like that you know so yeah there are a couple of them I mean it's not. Um, the majority, but yeah, yeah. I definitely. Um, Would you say that's kind of something unique to Ghana? Because if I, because when I was in, or maybe West Africa, because when I was in uh, Rwanda and East Africa, you wouldn't, you would have Christians and Muslims, and you would never see like people from Africa being any other, like being Hindu and those kind of. So, because in South Africa they have Hindus, but that's because they were workers from India that came during the colonial period and they, they stayed and they never really um, transferred that religion to um, indigenous. Right. Um, well, I can say that I know, you know, a couple of other countries in West Africa, definitely, because it's, it's usually because, um, so we've had like traders coming in and things like that, business people, miners, lots of stuff like that. It's not a big community, but they are there. And I can say this for a fact because I went to school with two people who were okay. Hindus, um, you know, and were Ghanaians. And, well, they are still Ghanaians, but yeah, so um, yeah, I can tell you for a fact that um, there are a few of those, but it's not um, the majority. No, definitely not. I guess it's also kind of because of the geographical location and in ancient times, like the West African coast was usually very exploited and there was a lot of trade happening in that area. So that's yes. why maybe more culture from different parts of the world. Definitely. And, you know, talking about the coast and culture, that's why my name, so like Panford. So those of us that come from the coast in Ghana and other West African countries have a lot of westernized names because the... Um, traders who came in and um, mingled with the locals and then there's a lot of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds politically correct <laughs> um, but yeah so there's lots like there's taylor um johnson like all yeah. you know very westernized names yeah I, I, I'm, um, 
in Rwanda you wouldn't see that as much, I don't think. No. Even though um there was still like the colonial period and things like that. Although um a lot of them had English first names or I guess more Christian first names like Christian and that was a very common name. Um like the last name still kind of stayed more more right. traditional, and, right? Yeah, and, and and that's true for um, you know the greater parts of Ghana, except like those of us that come from the coast, uh -huh. coast, because um, yeah, that's where a lot of the mingling yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> what about yeah. Southern Islands? Because there was a colonial period. And there was, islands. yeah. Are you talking about like names, or, or just in general, know? like culture, like yeah. imported cultures and, and things like that? Um, I feel like. They didn't. We didn't really change like that much, and cause, um, how do I say? Um, <laughs> like, we still like religious, religion-wise, we're still like super Christian. I think that came from like the British, I guess, and Catholic. So I feel like that kind of played a role. And I don't know. I feel like in terms of culture, I don't think we changed that much. We're still very um, intact with our, you know. Original traditions. Yeah, traditions. You know the term cultured? So when you're describing someone, you'd be like, oh yeah, she's cultured or she's mm -hmm. very culturally aware. Do you think, what do you think about that? Like, what would you call cultured? Is it just someone who's ground to their traditions or someone who's open to many cultures? Does that make someone cultured? I wouldn't ever, I never really describe someone as cultured because. I think that if you're in an international setting, obviously you have more um, awareness of cultures from around the world and you're exposed to them a lot more. Whereas, for example, it's kind of, that's kind of implying that if you're not cultured, like, it's not as good mm -hmm. because it's kind of saying that you should, like, even if you stay in the same country your whole life, you're never around people from other cultures, that you should still um, try to, like, try to find out about other cultures and then if you don't find out about other cultures and you don't spend time learning about other cultures that that's some kind of like that that that's something wrong with that mm -hmm. i mean culture is not a word i would use but i think it's very subjective um, i think that you know what would be termed as being cultured in mongolia would probably not be culture and um, culture somewhere else um, but to me, I think what's more important is being aware, you know, being culturally aware and sensitive. Um, you know, you must understand where you find yourself, what is acceptable in that community and what is not. And, you know, when I came in here, I learned really quickly that when your feet um, fork bumps with another person, you're supposed to say, um, sorry, in Mongolian and like shake hands or something like that. And, you know, whether or not you think it's necessary, that's not important. What is important is that you must understand that if that person thinks it's a big deal, then you must do it. Um, you, you just have to be culturally aware yeah. and understand what you know um, gestures and things like that mean in other cultures. So, yeah. Mm, you brought up like stepping on foot and like shaking hands as a Mongolian culture, right? Do your countries have anything that's similar to that? Something like, like superstitions in, within the culture. It just comes up to you naturally because I don't. So, like consciously think about you know stepping on people's feet and like holding their hands every time I do it it's just it just it, it, yeah it became an yeah. instinct for me so it's, it's like a learned behavior right like yeah. the acceptable norms I'll give you an example 
if you walked into a typical Ghanaian school, the students will stand up and greet. Yeah. All of them. Oh, okay. They all will stand up and then greet whoever it is. And they greet in unison. <laughs> right? That's how they do it in the But is it like, is it like um, automatically in unison or is there something like one, two, three? One, no, three, it's, just, it's just perfectly. Like, yeah, it's just, <laughs> like you do it for so long that it yeah. becomes a part of you. So like they all just stand up and say like, good morning, say, or something like yeah. that. And like, you know, the little differences here and there. Another one is, so it's considered disrespectful if you raise your left hand or if you hand something to another person using your left hand. Yeah, that is in Mongolian yeah, culture. That also relates to our culture. Right. Where like if someone's gifting you something, you can't accept it with your left hand. You would either have to do it with both, both. hands. It's preferably both hands or with your right hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you learn quickly when you start relating to other people. So I think initially when I started teaching in my first international school in Ghana, where there's not an emphasis on these things, you know, students raise their left hand and, you know, it, it, it takes like a minute for you to get used to it. And, yeah. But yeah, like there are things like that, different things. I think what's even more interesting are like hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, you know, gestures mean different things. Yeah. Like showing somebody the middle finger in, you know, Western culture means something really bad. If you did that to some communities in Ghana, it won't mean anything. Yeah, like they just, just no, their finger up. No, it's okay, your finger is up. But if you did something close to the th a thumbs up and you dropped the tongue, oh, that's bad. What? Wait, what? what does that mean? It means the same thing as the middle finger. Oh, really? Like that? No, no, like, no this, like, like that, like what you just did. Like a, like a remote clicking. Yeah. Or if you like opened um, all five fingers and pointed them at someone, that's an insult to in another culture. Really? That's actually like a lot of cultures. It's either like pointing, so they prefer you to point with all like yeah, all, your all your hands, fingers. all your fingers. Sorry. I think specifically in Asian culture, pointing yeah. is rude, but then doing with all hands mm. right. that's preferred. Yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, in Germany, it's not people don't take like um, culture as seriously, or like there's not really anything that. Um, I can I can like realize that's like really important to remember because I think just because it's like so westernized and I think a lot of the Western world has similar similar kind of cultures and yeah. uh, ideas. But for example, I Mr. Mr. Pat talking about the middle finger. I, I just thought like in the UK, if you have the peace sign but like the outward yeah. side behind his face, then that's the same thing. Oh, so really? yeah. So I like remember that, learning like, this in was, middle school. It was like such a big thing. I I learned it because of Mr. Bean. <laughs> because, um, in one like episode, I think he went to France or something, and someone like pointed a middle finger at him. Be but because he's from the UK, he didn't realize what it was, and so he pointed like at everyone like in his uh, car. So that's how I learned about it. Yeah. Do you think because the world is generally Westernized, it it's just it's it's like something that's generally accepted, so you don't feel like. You don't feel the difference in different communities. Mm. That's going off on the assumption that the world is westernized, though. I feel like it is. Because everyone understands what the middle finger means more than, you know. But that's just everyone in your circles understands what the middle yeah. finger means. I agree. Really? Yes, yeah. it's your circles. I feel like just maybe Mongolia, perhaps, specifically in the city, it's just we're more 
aware of Western cultures. But I can tell you, for if we probably went to the countryside now and showed one nomad the middle finger, there's a high probability that he won't know what that is. Like there are things, like you know, common sense, right? Yeah. So not everything really. Like there are very few things that are common sense. That's like common knowledge to everybody. The things that you know exists in your circles and it becomes the norm and you, you're so used to it and you don't so much and you think that's how everybody sees things and that's how everybody thinks but it's not usually the case though yeah um i think the things that are like the most common things are the ones where um it's like natural instinct so for example the smile in every yes. culture is the same um, when you're angry, every culture, they always, well, like, there's some cultures where, for example, they just, like, um, stay, like, still. For example, I saw this, not documentary, but, like, this video on people in the Amazon tribe, and there was um, a film crew there, like, filming with them, and, like, one of the producers got really angry and started shouting, right? And instead of, like, being worried, they just all sat down in a circle, like, in silence. So, like, guess their anger, they don't express it as much. But like, I think they still, every culture and every person is aware when someone's angry. Every culture is aware when someone's sad and when someone's happy. So I think those kind of things are universal. Yeah. I think like some of like the social things are a little less aware. Not like socializing. Like emotional, I think that's connected to every country. More like social, like for example, the KKK. Like this is a, an interesting connection, but in Mongolian, People write, like, literally write KKK as a form of saying ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. Or in, like, yeah. Spanish, yeah. they write ja ja ja. Or, like, in westernized societies, they write ha ha ha, right? Because that's yeah. what sounds like you're laughing. But, like, KKK sounds like you're, like, chuckling. Ka ka ka, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's just like the alphabet, though. And for example, in Spanish, the J is not a J sound. You don't say J, right? You say the J, J. Like a Sometimes I accidentally just... send KKK to. Like, like, foreign friends are like, what? Yeah. I actually have From a question about this. Has the, the KKK laughing been around for, like, really long time? Yeah. Okay, because in Brazil, when I was living there, they, that's how they laugh. So, like, all my old conversations, you just say, like, 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 like showing me your mom's conversations and like K -K 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 -K. and I was like oh my god I thought that was just like Brazil but apparently not so I thought that was really cool so, so the first time I saw that KKK so <laughs> you know how we say okay right like yeah, something is okay right oh yeah and for some reason recently people have started saying KK as in okay and I thought oh, it's yeah. not even like it's a short form of it or anything like that like <laughs> Okay to KK. So the first time I saw KKK, I thought like they were just saying like okay, okay or something like that. <laughs> and I realized no, um, no, it's totally different. Yeah. They were laughing. Do you think that there might there might ever be some confusion with that? So someone's talking about the KKK, and then <laughs> they're, they're, the whole time they're just laughing. But <laughs> could be, <laughs> could interesting. Be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Um. We should wrap up for today. It's yeah. Starting to wrap up. So any final. Words of wisdom about Mr. Panford, finish it off. I actually have one, one question for All Mr. Right. Panford. I think he has the capabilities to answer this question. <laughs> but we all know Black Panther, right? Yeah. Is Wakanda real? Wakanda is very, very real. Oh, I, 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 I would know. Instead of his lip. 
<laughs> it's very, very real, but you know, yeah. for security reasons, I can't give you more information, but oh, it's very real. I, I remember I gave um, a group of sixth graders two years ago a globe to look for Wakanda, and it um, took a long time. <laughs> they actually thought it was real? Oh, they did. Uh, <laughs> you should yeah. see them looking. They, they looked. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like um, kind of like tattoos, which like are glow in the dark, right? Yeah. So what you should do is get one of those like in the inside of the lip. <laughs> And then just like, just it's real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I shared my Black Panther experience with you guys. I watched the movie here in Mongolia. Okay. And I, definitely the only black guy in the cinema. <laughs> and this was like the, the Gantin, you know, the yeah. VIP yeah. room. So like, there's a few people. Right. And the movie ended and the lights came on and I stood up and everybody was looking at me in shock. There he is. And yeah. I was walking out like I, I almost started signing off. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> That's the best part. But yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Panford. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope everyone liked our um, podcast episode on culture. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you guys next week.